Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. It's so good to be here. Uh, last time I was with you guys, I'm sure they'll figure out the sound. I'll just keep talking until, all right. Last time I was here, you weren't here. You were, you were in a school. Uh, I mean, I've been here in this place, but last time I ministered with you, you were in a school. And it is amazing to see the goodness of God over Restoration Chicago. I mean, isn't it good to have your own physical home to come and gather and worship the Lord and and a place you can invite people into, into an atmosphere to feel loved and connected uh, and make it yours. Like this is such a beautiful place God has given you. Uh, Just worshiping here. Honestly, I was tearing up for you guys just to think of the goodness of God over Restoration Chicago and how faithful he is to his church. God loves his church. He loves his church so much, and, and he loves you, Restoration Chicago. I love your name, obviously. Uh, we are, I'm from Restoration LA, and it was just a, a prophetic name that the Lord had given us for our church in our region. And so I think it's the same for you. It's, it's, it's a missional name, right, that we are a church of restoration. It's, it's a prophetic statement to, to your city and beyond, right, that, that you are a church about restoration and it says that we are in the restoration business. So I don't know if you believe that or not or know that or not, but you are in the restoration business. It's a family business that, that our Father in heaven has started. And I know the church is not a business, so please don't start throwing stones at me yet. Um, but listen, we, we are about the restoration business. And it's a business committed to, to the restoring right relationship between God the Father and his creation that was separated by sin. Uh, it's, it's a business committed to restoring the promise of eternity for every person that believes in Jesus. Uh, and it's a business committed to restoring lives that have been broken regardless of the circumstances. And so um, I, I love that you are about the same business that I'm about. Uh, it's, a, it's a church, even though no one else um, you know, pick the right name like we did. Um, this is what the church. This is what the church is about. It's a, the restoration of all things that have been broken from God the Father. And so, uh, before I start, I, I need to definitely say hi and send my, the love from my wife Vanessa. Uh, Vanessa sends her greetings, sends her love. Uh, we are in partnership with you as a church. Uh, we serve with you and Vanessa on the NCMI team. Uh, we are leading churches in in our respective cities, but we definitely are connected in so many ways. So uh, thank you for having us. And uh, we'll, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, um, not, not to minister here, but my son and Rebecca Sudworth will be getting married in this place, this place, uh, in a couple of weeks. So, so really, really excited about that. So we have all kinds of different connections. So, um, so back to the restoration business. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, if you can turn to John chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 35, read for a few verses, and then get through really what I think the Lord has already been saying this morning. In, in, in the prayer time before service, this word commissioning kept coming up. And then this prophetic word from Vanessa during worship that there's this commissioning that is taking place. And, it, and not only is it taking place, it has taken place. It has taken place and it is taking place. And so God has commissioned and God is commissioning. And so as you look at somebody next to you and say, God is commissioning. He's commissioning. He, there, there is this, this beautiful mission that we are being invited into partner with God in. And it, and it is uh, one of the greatest values that we carry as children of God. And uh, I want to start here in John just to point out some, some truths that I think will encourage us this morning. John chapter 6, 35 says this. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never be hungry again and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty but you haven't believed in me, though you have seen me. And however, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. 
For I have come down from heaven, this is Jesus speaking, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me. Now this is an important truth that we have to understand, that Jesus came from heaven to do the will that the Father gave him. The purpose that the Father gave him. And listen to this, not to do my own will. Jesus the Son, Jesus, our God, God the Son, saying that I am been sent by God not to do my will, but to do his. And this is the will of God. And this is something important. If you guys have your physical Bibles, underline this, highlight it. If you have your electronic Bibles, make a note, whatever you need to do to, to write this down. And this is the will of God. It's so important. I hear so many people that I am in contact with, especially people who are really chasing after their purpose in God. And I hear this often from people is, I don't know the will of God for my life. And I, I want to offer this to each and every one of us to understand that the will of God for your life isn't specifically unique to you. Your giftings are unique. Your makeup is unique. Your personality and, and, and how you express the giftings that God has given you is very unique. But this mission and this purpose is not unique because we are the children of God and the son of God gave us the will of God. And so each and every one of us carry this because why? We are called to be about our father's business. And we see this, and this is the will of God. Listen, friends, that I should not lose even one of all those that he has given me. That I should not lose one that the Lord has given me, but that I should raise up on the last day. Verse 40, for it is my father's will that all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life. What a powerful thing. It is my Father's will that all who believe in Jesus would have eternal life. And then lastly, it says, and I will raise them up at the last day. So we know that it's not the Father's will to lose one. I don't know if it's any Father's will to lose a child. I mean, that's a very significant thing. Um, my oldest son was, was abducted. I don't know if I've ever shared this story. I won't get into it today. I know that's a big cliffhanger. But was, was, was abducted. My oldest son was abducted, flown out of state from California to the East Coast and hidden for six weeks. I mean, it took the district attorney's office thousands and thousands of dollars worth of lawyer fees and, and the FBI to get our son back, to lose a son. There is no extent that you wouldn't take to, to get your son back. It is not the father's will to lose one. Not one. Secondly, we see it is the Father's will for all who believe in Jesus to have, what? Eternal life. This is the Father's will, that his children would have eternal life. 1 John chapter 3 says this, and we'll start with verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. He calls us his what? His children. We're his children. We are the children of God. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. They haven't been introduced to their father. I, I had this pretty surreal experience when I was in middle school. Um, my father was a pastor and my father used to run a, a rehabilitation program for for convicts and, and, and those struggling with addiction. And so I grew up with like around a lot of thugs, not only because I was in LA, but because of the ministry that my father was a part of. And I used to sit in like thug classroom with all these guys all the time. And so there was this, honestly, this really notorious gang member who was committed to this program that my father was leading. So some guys were actually court committed to this program. And so they would come to this program and have to serve six months to a year in this program instead of going to prison. So it was kind of like a detour of, you know, kind of incarceration. So they would come to these rehab programs. And so I'm sitting in this circle talking with, with, with you know, this, this older gang member or former gang member. 
And he begins to speak about his daughter who he thinks might go to the school that I was attending. And so he says her name and I'm like, I know her. He hasn't seen her since she was born. And so she's, she's dating, I mean, however a 14 year old could date. Uh, she's, she's dating one of my friends. And so I'm like, this is crazy. I'm going to introduce this dude to his daughter and this daughter to her, to her father. So I, I go and I tell my friend, I'm like, bro, you're not gonna, you're not gonna like believe this. Your girlfriend's dad is in my dad's rehab program. But he says that he hasn't like seen her since she was a baby. Like, does this make any sense? He's like, absolutely. Like her father is this guy from this gang and all this. And I don't know if it was wise for me to like try to make this connection, but it, we, we go to school the next day and poor girl, we bum rush this girl. Like, we met your dad. We know your dad. I want to introduce you to your dad. And this, she's obviously stunned and shocked. There's no planning. She doesn't call her mom and ask permission. She follows me home after school with a group of our friends because she's going to meet her dad. And so we feel like, I mean, this should have been on a TV show, like one of those reality shows, right? And so she comes, she enters, she enters the driveway. The father's in the driveway of the parking lot. They see each other. They run. They hug. They cry. I mean, it is surreal. I mean, it is, as far as I understand, it, it turned out really well. But what a privilege it was to introduce this girl to her dad. And this is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to do because why? It's not the father's will that he should lose one. And for anyone who believes, they will be children of God, right? See how much the father loves us. He calls us children, but the world doesn't know it because they don't know him. And when they come to know him, they come to know him as we know him as what? As father. What a privilege. What a privilege. And the question that, that I have when, when I, I read verses like this is, is, what is my response to this? What is my response to this revelation that God wants all of his children to know him? Like, and, and, and the question that I, I, I give you this morning is, what is your response to this? That God wills that none should be lost. And it's God's will that all would come to know him. And if this is the will of God, what is my part to play in all of that? Now, the, the Marine in me thinks duty immediately. That's just kind of how I'm built. If you, I don't know if you do Enneagram stuff, but I'm an eight. And so eights like to just get stuff done. We don't think too much about it. We just do stuff and figure out how it happens later. Like, so the aid in me and the Marine in me, just like, I, I just want a duty. I'm, I'm going to go on this mission because I've been commissioned to do it. Let's get stuff done. But the brother in me thinks responsibility. And a, a quick story. Um, so my wife and I obviously have six kids, not 27, six. feels like 27 sometimes. Uh, we'll see. Maybe grandkids. Maybe we'll have 27 grandkids. And then I'll come back and verify that you are a prophet. And so... So um, our second batch, uh, we call them our second batch because our older three are 25, 23, and 21. Our youngest three are 13, 10, and three. And so our, our youngest batch is all adopted. So we've adopted all, all our, our last three. And so our youngest, her name is Macy Ray. And so um, cool story is my sister-in-law adopted Macy's twin brothers. And so when, when Macy was born, they wanted her to be connected to the family. And so we said, hey, we will take Macy, right? And so we adopted Macy. And so every now and then we're able to bring her twin brothers to the house and they spend the night. And so she gets to spend time with her, her, her brothers. And so these brothers aren't used to being with her because Macy is a force to be reckoned with. Right. And so these little dudes are like, you know, they stress out because she, man, she, she loves her time with, with her brothers. And so, uh, we had them over and so she's stressing one of them out and he's starting to get like really drained. And I think, you know, she's empty and I think he's an introvert. So his tank was empty really quick. So all your introverts knows what that feels like. I don't really know what that feels like, but you guys might know what that feels like. So, um, he's starting to avoid her. 
But, and, and then I'm, as a dad, I'm kind of feeling for her because I'm like, bro, all she wants is to play with you. Like, and so I'm like, bro, like, play with your sister. Like, like, man, she wants some time with you. Like, play with your sister. And then this guy's like, man, why do I always have to do something? He said it like that. I'm like, because that's your sister, dude. Like, come on. Like, but I think as Christians, we feel like that. Like when, when our, 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 our brother and sister duty, our lost brothers and sisters are out there and God's saying, I need you to go get your brother and sister. And we're like, man, why do I always have to do something? Like, we, like it's this, we feel that responsibility and it's a chore, right? And I'm telling you, friends, we, we have to have a deeper revelation a deeper revelation of this thing that God has called us to. And, and the prophetic word that Vanessa shared today, it was out of revelation that Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Jesus reveals himself to Isaiah and it is out of revelation that Isaiah says, I will go for you, God, because he has seen the Lord. He has seen the Lord and he knows the Lord. The Lord has revealed himself. And I think it's the same for us when we have seen a good father and we know a good father, then our response to a good father, when he says, who will go for me? I'll go, dad. I'll be the one. Send me. It's out of this revelation. Isn't that a beautiful truth, right? I think... Christians, we, we can get into this, this mode of duty and responsibility, but really, friends, it's so much deeper in why we respond to the commissioning of God. It's so much deeper. And I, I, um, you know, our, our, our Heavenly Father has, has commissioned us to go and reach our lost brothers and sisters and, and, and to go and bring them into the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel. And I think sometimes our, our shoulders drop and we say, Lord, why, why do I need to do this? And, and, and the truth is you don't. You don't have to. If we know anything about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of invitation is Jesus is never forcing anything on anybody. You know, God's not gonna love you any more or any less depending on how many people you led to the Lord and how many notches you have on your belt. And I think religion tells us that. Religion tells us, yeah, you have to do these things in order to gain the approval of God and you have to do these things in order to be in right standing with God. And the truth is, it's, it's none of those things. And so it's not out of this duty or, or it's not even out of this responsibility. Friends, it's out of love to our Father. We serve a father who loves us unconditionally. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in our worst state, Christ died for us. Not when we got polished and cleaned up. And, and I, I know so many, when I, we, I invite to church or things like that, they're like, yeah, I don't think I could step into church. Like the, the roof might fall in or you know, things like that. They think that they have to be perfect in order to come to God or even come to the house of God. And that's not true. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is a father who love, whose love doesn't change, regardless of what we do, whether we've responded to this great commission or not. Our father's love is not reactional or contractual. So he doesn't react in love because you've done something bad or done something good. And it's not contractual. And contractual means that there's a contract between you and I. And if you don't, follow through with your part of the contract, then that releases me from mine. That's not God. His love is covenantal. And this covenantal love means I will love you even if you don't follow through with your end of the bargain. Parents, you know what that feels like. Um, I've, I've had to work with, with one of my kids in, in this area. One, one of my adopted children. You know, he, he was adopted a little bit older and so he has some, some, some identity things that he's working through with his natural parents and responding to the love from two new parents that aren't his blood parents. And, and, and I've had to wash him with this truth. That I will love you even if you don't love me back. That even if you don't feel when you feel like I'm not your real father, even when you feel like I might not be enough for you, I am gonna love you no matter what. This is how God loves us. This is how God loves us. And it's in response to this, friends, to 
that we do the work of God. It's in response to this that we fall, follow through with the commissioning that he has given us. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because he loved us first. It's his response. He loved us first. He is the initiator of love. God is love. And because he is love, now we know how to love because he has loved us. And in the same way, we go and love. And, so, and because we love, I think our love should be quantified. How many of you think it's good for love to be quantified? Right? It's, it's, it's not like Janet Jackson's song, What Have You Done For Me Lately? I don't know if you don't know that song. I'm, if, if you don't know that song, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm probably older than some of you. But our love should be quantified. There, there should be this, this metric to measure that we love our Father, right? And if God is good, and He is, and if our Heavenly Father is worthy of our love, and He is, then maybe there should be evidence that we carry this love for Him in our lives, right? There was evidence in the life of Jesus. Jesus loved the Father. Man, he loved the Father. Man, Jesus' life was a love letter to God the Father. And I know we like to think it's all about us, that Jesus came to die for us. But John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus coming to the earth to save the world of their sins was in response to the Father. Now, Yes, we are the, are the recipients of the sacrifice. We are the recipients of that obedience. We are the recipients of, of, of the crucifixion and this invitation of, of relationship back with the Father. But man, it was in response to his love for the Father. He gave up his place in heaven. He came to earth. Creator became creation. He came on a rescue mission to the earth because it was, wasn't the Father's will that one should perish. Isn't that powerful? He suffered and he died, yes, because he loves us, but that love was initiated by a holy father, a good father. And so if Jesus gave his life for for our father's mission, isn't it reasonable for us to conclude that this is the holy work for every child of God? That this is the holy work of every child of God to bring people back into right relationship with their heavenly father. It's a powerful thing. Um, Dallas Willard said that the great commission is still the mission statement of the church. I don't know if you've ever struggled with creating a mission statement, but man, the mission statements are, you know, it's supposed to be fast and punchy and and, um, from what I'm Understand it can't be more than 15 words if you really want to get people's attention and you know all this kind of stuff. But man, the Great Commission is still the mission statement of the church, right? And 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 I believe we're called to execute this great commission, listen, friends, based on the great commandments. If you know the great commandments, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our response, or our work walking out the Great Commission is a response to the Great Commandments. We love God. And we love people. Therefore, we will go. Therefore, we will carry out this Great Commissioning that God has so graciously invited us into partner with him. Isn't that amazing? Love God. Love your neighbor. Jesus makes it clear through um, the parable of the great Samaritan that your neighbor is anyone around you, anyone, regardless of their ethnic group, their religious background, their socioeconomic status, or their lifestyle, anyone around you, we're called to share this love with. Jesus tells us that these two great loves satisfy the law of Moses and all the prophetic mandates of scripture. We follow these two commandments, these greatest of commandments, love God, love people, and man, we're set. I don't know, it's simple, I call it the ABCs of Christianity, right? Two great commandments, one one great commission, that's it. We We complicate things, right? We start, you know, you know all, all the other things that we want to add to this stuff, you know, and, and trust me, I know there's more. But man, these are the things, one, two. If you want to say three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there you go, one, two, three, you got it. 
Jason Ma says this about the Great Commission. God is calling forth a generation that is passionate for his presence. A generation that knows who they are and whose they are. He is calling for sons and daughters who don't find their identity in revival, but in Christ. For the Great Commission must flow out of the Great Commandment. Our destinies must flow out of our identities as beloved children of God who know their worth, value, and honor before the Father. We have nothing to prove, listen friends, and nothing to lose. We have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. It is a time for change. It is time for revival and reformation in this generation. And I I agree with that. That resonates with me. It's time for people who know who they are, know who they are in God, knows who their heavenly father is, know what the will of their heavenly father is and look to our savior as a blueprint of how we live our lives to lead this world back into right relationship with God. The Great Commission in the Bible, is you won't see the wording Great Commission, and you will in the subtitles, but not Scripture itself. The Great Commission is found in these places. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Write these down if you can. Mark chapter 16, 15 through 20. Luke chapter 24, verses 14 through 53. And one verse in John, John chapter 20, verse 21. This great commissioning that has been given to the people of God. I want to go through Mark's, Mark's um, version of, of this great commission. It says this, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning. How many of you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Amen. The first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman uh, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping. They were grieving and weeping because Jesus was dead. Not remembering that Jesus told him that he was going to rise on the third day. So she went and told them what happened. And when she told them that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, listen to this, friends, they didn't believe her. After Jesus had told them, like for three and a half years, this is what's going to happen, they still didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. And they rushed back to tell the others but no one believed them. It sounds a lot like us. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. And listen to this, friends. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because, listen to this part, because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. They refused to believe those who had revelation that he was risen from the dead. These were his disciples. Disciples without revelation, I'm telling you, friends, we aren't going to be about our father's business without revelation. So we've talked about that a bit this morning. But verse 15 says this. First, he rebukes them for their refusal to believe. And verse 15 says, and then he told them, go into all the world. Where? All the world. Preach the good news. The good news to who? To everyone. To every one. And anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages and they will be able to handle snakes with safety. I don't recommend you test that stuff. Um, if, if you want to, whatever. I see some churches do it, but. Is it? And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Yes, Lord. And when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples, listen to this, friends, went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miracles and signs. Let me give you a few points this morning. The mission of Jesus is not hinged on your confidence. It's not hinged on your confidence. Listen, these disciples were commissioned and a commissioning is a serious thing. Uh, During our prayer time, uh, Hugh Hugh, um, gave the analogy of a knight being knighted by a king. 
And when a king comes and knights someone, it's a commissioning. I mean, if there's a ceremony, there's a celebration, it's a powerful thing, right? These men were commissioned even in doubt. Jesus just rebukes them for their disbelief and then he commissions them. This is a, this is a powerful truth, friends. This gospel is power unto salvation, with or without us. It is power because it is the word of God. It is the story of Jesus. It is an invitation from a heavenly father to a lost world to bring them back into right relationship. This is powerful. And it's not hinged on our confidence. And I know we like to think like, like it depends on how we feel in the morning of whether I'm gonna share Jesus or not. It's not hinged on our confidence. These disciples carried unbelief and doubt and yet they went out and preached. It was an act of obedience. An act of obedience. That's a powerful thing. Number two, go. Go is an action word. Go is an action word. And, 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 and we have to understand why we go. So if you want to know if you're, if you're breaking out like the why, the where, the what, and the who, I'm going to give them to you now. Why, why we go. Go is a directive. Go is an order. Go is a commandment. Go, right? It's not an option. It's not like a question. Like if you feel like going, it would be really good if you could. It, it is go. Listen, go, go has intent. It has intent. Like I'm, I'm all for the organic. Like I'm, I'm all for the spontaneous encounters. But, but the disciples' mission cannot be left to chance. It cannot be left to chance. And I think we just kind of do that. Like we put these fleeces before God when it comes to evangelism. Well, you know, if I walk into the door and Susie's has her cup of coffee in her right hand, and as long as Bill doesn't say that dumb thing he says every morning, then I'll share Jesus that morning. So you, you, like we've just set up you know, a scenario that's impossible. We can't just leave it to chance. The disciples' mission has to be intentional. You go. No, you go. No, you go. And God's saying, somebody go. Somebody go. Heaven is saying, go. Our Father is saying, go. This is our why. We love our Father. And our father has asked us to do something. And our father's love language is obedience. So I want to obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. It's a powerful thing. I know Americans, we don't like the word obey. It doesn't, uh. But we are not citizens of this earth. We're citizens of heaven. And our allegiance is to a father. Amen. Amen. Number three. Where do we go? Into the world. Um, Acts 1.8 tells us, right? It's the same thing. Um, so when the apostles were with Jesus and they kept asking him, Lord, has a time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? Uh, he replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know, but you will receive power. Can you say Power power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you, listen to you will be my witnesses. This is a prophetic statement. This isn't some Yoda Jedi mind trick like you will be my witnesses. No, no this, you will be my witnesses. He is prophesying over you. This is what you're going to be. This is who you're going to be telling people about me everywhere. This is what you're going to be. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is our where. And it starts in our Jerusalem. Your Jerusalem is Chicago. And it may not be the greater Chicago arena. It could be Chicago and your workplace, Chicago. It could be Chicago, your school, Chicago. It could be Chicago, your, your family dinner table, your, your Thanksgiving table. Your sphere is, is this close Jerusalem that God has called you to. And then you go a little beyond that. Maybe it's a greater Chicago area. And, then it's and this is why missions is so important for the church. We have to get people activated and released into doing these things. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Samaria is a place you don't want to go. Samaria is a place you don't want to go to the people you don't want to take this message to. God's asking you to go there. 
And then the outermost parts of the world. This is our go. This is into all the world. This is our where. And then number four is our what. What do we do there? We preach the good news. What's the good news? What's the good news? John 3, 16. That's a pocket, pocket-sized gospel. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. If you would just believe, if you would just believe in him, you will have eternal life. Romans tells us when we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is our message. Part of your gospel message is your testimony. What has God done for you? What has God done in your life? Be able to present that to the world. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Tell them what your father has done for you. How can they argue with that? He didn't do that. No, 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 no. Let me tell you what he's done. Peter tells us to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have inside of us. What reason do you have for the hope inside of you? And are you willing to tell the world about it? Friends, this is a a love response to the goodness of our father. This is what we're called to do. Preach the good news. And the good news should sound like good news. I hear so many on street corners in LA preaching some kind of news. It doesn't sound good. It's like turn or burn. Like, I mean, I like, I get the understanding, the reality of not believing. That's not the good news. We bring the good news of Jesus, what he has done, this invitation that he has extended and the realities of that invitation. If you would just respond, this is what we do. We preach the good news. And number five, to who? To everyone, everywhere, everyone, everywhere. We have to get a grip on this. Everyone, everywhere. Even those people in your closer sphere of influence that have rejected you, the people who you just feel they're never going to respond, they're never going to respond. You and I were both those nevers at, at one point. You and I were both those nevers. That, ah, they're never going to No, you and I were a never. Can you imagine if someone wouldn't have responded to the Lord when it, when it came to us? Right? So we, we, what do we, how do we do this? We need to start equipping. We equip and, and, and we start releasing. Just as Jesus was the master discipler, master equipper. And so what he did with his disciples, right? He, he, he had a beautiful way of teaching, uh, a practical application, and then releasing. This is what he did with his disciples for three and a half years. And so they had spiritual muscle memory under the power of the Holy Spirit to go and do what Jesus had called them to do. They had their struggles, they had their doubts, but eventually they, they, they jumped into the stream of this great commission that Jesus had called them to. And so I believe more than ever, we need to be equipping and releasing saints into this very thing. Uh, I had a revelation at, uh, in the life of our church that I don't know how many of our people have ever seen a leader evangelize. And so like we've done prophetic training and we've done all these other kind of like, like spiritual giftings training and preaching classes and all these kind of things that help us with the church body. But how about beyond? And so I was thinking, man, we need to do a two by two ministry. And, and what I mean by two by two ministry is Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. Right. And so he preached and taught and they watched him and they did it. And then eventually he said, all right, now you guys go do it. And they're like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, you guys go do it. And they're like, well, hold on. Jesus like, what, what do we take? He's like, take nothing. Just get out there. Just go do it. <laughs> and so, you know, they, they went and did it. And man, they were shocked and amazed at the things that he had shown them and taught them that they were able to do. And, and it was just a powerful thing. Right. And so eventually, you know, they, they were f- afraid to do it without him. But he said this powerful thing. He says, just know I am with you always even to the end of the age. And this should bring us confidence. This should bring us confidence in what we do. So we started two by two at Restoration LA and and it's not always comfortable and not everyone always shows up, but man, when people show up and we get out. So I've I've asked all of our elders and all of our deacons to come and then take um, the saints in the life of the church out. And we go cold turkey out into the community and to pray for people and to lay hands on people and to preach the gospel. And, 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 and you know, it could feel like door knocking or whatever that, but uh, man, we have to activate the church. And, 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 and I know we can put a program up and say, hey, we're going to have a program. But man, we need saints to be doing this in their everyday life. And if they're not practicing it somewhere, I don't know if they're going to do it. So we've had this revelation to try this stuff. And man, we've had encounters and, and, and we've had people come to the church because of it. Like we've seen God do some amazing things, but we've, we've had this value and 
Let me tell you, when, when you're talking about values in a church, there's espoused values and there's embodied values. And espoused values are values that you say you have. So we're, we're that word espoused. We're married to this value. This is what we project to the world. This is who we want to be. But that doesn't always mean we embody those values. And embody means we actually follow through with this value. So this is one of our values. God has commanded us to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. Everywhere. We send. So this is a prophetic statement from us as a church. That we've put there intentionally to prophetically live up to this. We send empowered and equipped disciples of Jesus into the world. Every member of our community is a missionary every day. Is a missionary every day. This is what we have to equip the saints for. To be a missionary every day. This is what you have signed up for. Because this is your father's business. This is what you're going to do. My father was a gardener, so I mowed lawns when I was a kid. So... He was a pastor too, but you get what I'm saying. Um, so really quickly, um, Jesus taught. He practically, he, he gave us practical applications and then he released. We need to see that more in the life of the church. What are the enemies of this mission? Number one is fear. Is fear. Number two is comfort. These two, these two things I believe are the greatest enemy to the church following through with this great commission that God has given us. Right? And so I believe, I believe, um, there's a doctrine of fighting with the opposite spirit. And so I believe that it's the same for these two things that we are contending with. We fight with the opposite spirit. And so we see in scripture, scripture tells us to overcome hate with love, poverty with generosity, pride with humility, and so on. It's the same with these two things, fear and comfort. The opposite of fear is faith. The opposite of fear. So if you are facing fear when it comes to evangelism and this great commission that you have been called to, friends, you have to operate in faith, right? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. This is what Hebrews tells us. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from what? The word of God. Get in your word. Get confidence with what God has spoken over you. Prophetically, spend time with God. Let him, let him wash you with, with, with prophetic words over your life so the confidence in you will build. This faith will build and you can contend against this fear. And listen, faith comes from his, his presence. Man, when you're in his presence, man, you stand tall. I mean, you, you're confident because the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So we, we contend against fear with faith. With faith. Believing in things that you cannot see. Believing that even though you can never see John coming to the Lord in faith, he will say yes to Jesus. Right? We have to have this confidence in, in the gospel that Jesus has given us. Um, second, real quickly, the opposite of comfort. Listen, friends. You might struggle with this one. is suffering. It's uncomfortable to share the good news to, to, to a, a person in the line at Walmart. I, I can't stand Walmart. It, it, I'm not against shopping at Walmart, but I can't stand the atmosphere of Walmart. It's hectic. But when Holy Spirit tells you to start sharing Jesus with someone in line, you're like, really, Lord, now? With a kid crying and this lady bumping me with her cart and like, like now? Yes, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable when Jesus wants you to share it with, with that family member that you know is desperate for breakthrough, but you, you, you're just, ah, I can't do it. I don't, I don't want to bring this right now, Lord. I mean, all the families here, it's going to be a thing. It's uncomfortable. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. Daily. Carrying a cross daily is not comfortable. I mean, think about it in the physical, but this is a spiritual. Carrying your cross daily, it's uncomfortable. Put yourself in uncomfortable situations, friends. Honestly, tell yourself, like, man, be prayed up before you go to work. Lord, if you give me an opportunity, I'm going to do it. Man, when you hear about a mission trip coming through the life of Restoration Chicago, I want to be a part of it. Talk to the eldership team here and say, hey, where, where are our partners working in? Can I go? You know, can I go into Mexico? Can I go into South Africa? Can I go into Nigeria? Is there a place that I can go? Where can I go to, to get myself out of this uncomfortable life that I might be living to share this beautiful good news with somebody else? How do I break being stuck and comfortable? 
Put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Listen, take down your selfie and put up, I am a follower of Jesus, and just watch what happens. It's a powerful tool if we use it right. Let me just land with this. 1 Peter chapter 3 says this. Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you for the hope, as, about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. We have, it's a gospel of love. Do it in a gentle and respectful way. Sorry, I lost my place. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. What a powerful thing. He died to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and he preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is effective because Jesus rose from the dead. This is our good news. We have to have confidence in this message that Jesus has given us. How many believe that? How many of you believe that God has given you this beautiful good news to share with the world? My encouragement for you, Restoration, is this. If God is good and you love God as the great commandment calls us to do, a reasonable response to that love is to be about your father's business. I want to remind you, it's not his will that one should perish. And he has given you a commission to go into all this world and bring his kids home. One thing God showed me at Costco one time. I see all these people taking back their stuff, you know, like you, people buy stuff and they take it back. You might've heard me say this in the past, but it's just a powerful thing. And why do we like shopping at Costco? Because we like getting what we paid for. And I know if something goes wrong, I get to take it back. And so there's value there. How much more does our father want what he paid for? He wants what he paid for. And he has asked his children to go get it. Will you obey? Will you obey? Would you mind standing with me this morning? I apologize for probably going a little bit over than you normally go. It's probably not a good thing for a guest to do. But if you just wouldn't mind closing your eyes. Jesus said that you will receive power. This power comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not your power. It's not my power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's this power that, that falls upon believers who are willing to receive this beautiful gift of the Spirit. And I hear so many expressions of, of how you know the Spirit of the living God is on you. Yes, there's tongues and there's, and there's giftings and I believe in all of those things and I want all of those things. But here in, in the book of Acts, Jesus says, receive power and then you will be my witnesses. One of the greatest signs that the spirit of the living God has fallen upon you is that you are a witness of Jesus. Will you exercise that gift? Will you exercise that ability, will you respond to the will of your heavenly father? Will you respond to the commissioning of your savior? 
because you love him. And because you love the people that God has, has, has put you near. And because you love the people who are afar, who are desperate to encounter what you have so freely been given. Will you respond? And if you believe that you need to respond to that this morning, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands to the Lord. And as you lift to the hands of the Lord, I would just love for you to just pray to the Lord. Pray to him. Speak, if, if you've experienced fear, just pray to him, Lord, I want to replace this, this fear with faith. Lord, give me faith. I, I don't know if I'm an evangelist, but I know you've called me to this great work. And listen, friends, if I could just remind you, evangelism is not a gift. It's a mandate. It's not a gift. It's a mandate. It's for everyone. Your children so freely tell, talk about Jesus all the time. They don't care who's listening. How much more should we as the children of God be doing it? We love you, Lord. Lord, in the face of fear, I want faith. Lord, when I feel uncomfortable, Lord, when I feel like I'm going to get scrutinized or rejected, Lord, I, I just I pray for the ability to, 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 to enter into that suffering, to enter into your suffering, to understand the suffering that you paid for, for us to have the ability to share this beautiful news with Chicago and beyond, with my mother and beyond, with my father and beyond, my siblings and beyond this world, God. We want to share it with the world. Thank you, Lord. I just have a prophetic word over, over, over restoration. I, I believe there's a, there's a generation coming up in the life of this church that is going to be fearless with the gospel. And I see the younger people, but I don't, I don't think it's, it's strictly for them. Uh, but I think it's going to be provoked by the younger people. There's going to be a generation raised through Restoration Chicago that's going to be fearless with the gospel. And, and, and I, I wouldn't have the strategy. I don't believe it's my place, but I believe the eldership in the life of this church, the Lord is going to give you a strategy to begin to cultivate and release this through this next generation. And I don't know what that'll be. You guys can get in the face of the Lord and like, Lord, is there a strategy for us in this? raising up this generation to be fearless with the gospel to be fearless with the gospel thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord for this generation you're raising up thanks again for listening we hope you were encouraged don't forget to connect with us through our website restoration.life as well as on Facebook and Instagram